Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Phillips Auction House is best noted for its contemporary art department. Much of its reputation over the last 15 years was for its ability to make new markets for emerging artists. But the company's rise to larger auction totals has rested on its ability recently to attract high-value impressionist and modern works of art, especially from artists like Pablo Picasso, Juan Miro, Henri Matisse. Hugues Joffre played a central role in attracting that property to Phillips. I spoke to him recently about his experience establishing the modern department at Phillips. Hugh, uh, thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you for inviting me. I wanted to get a sense of what Phillips is like these days, uh, especially since Phillips made its reputation uh, for many years as the place that really uh, created markets for emerging artists. And uh, you are sort of not... Uh, not sort of, you You are definitely not of that mold. Uh, and the, Phillips has had a great deal of success in recent seasons with works by uh, Picasso especially, but you have a big Miro the, this season, which would seem to cut against the, the grain of what we think of Phillips being uh, about and for. So I thought you could start by just giving us a little bit of sense uh, of it's been two or three years that you've been at the firm. What it's been like uh, for you to establish that at Phillips? Well, as a starter, um, the uh, the way we split the the various categories, um, you know, modern, post-war, and contemporary, um, is evolving with time. Um, so, thirty-five years ago plus, when I started, um, I used to run the contemporary art department, which uh, included pieces from, you know, the post-war period, as well as um, very contemporary. I have, um, uh, over the years, developed a specialty in the modern and post-war, and not so much kept up with the contemporary side of things. So I used to be contemporary, if you see what I mean. Um, And yes, um, Philips, when I joined, um, three years ago exactly, was purely contemporary. The concept of moving slightly backwards uh, into the 20th century and now to the beginning of the 20th century is um, a decision that I was not... Um, you know, a party with because I think that this decision was uh, made before my joining, and is in inverted comma one of the reasons for my joining, and subsequently a few of my colleagues who are um, either uh, specialists in post-war and contemporary, or in some cases purely specialist in modern and post-war. So the um, our, our entry, our uh, increased presence in both the modern and post-war period is, um, is part of our master plan, if I would call it like that, um, as it is an area that the shareholder and um, Ed Dolman, our CEO, see 
growth for Philips um, without abandoning our focus on the 20th and 21st century. Um, does that answer your question a bit? It, it does, but it it only raises another question, which is if you are the modern guy in the um, wet paint contemporary auction house, uh, how do you go about uh, landing the consignments, uh, especially uh, w- when you have no successes to point to because Phillips hasn't been in that business? I mean, uh, can you give us a sense of three years ago what uh, you know how you approached uh, all of that? Well, three years ago um, was first um, a uh, a period when I needed to realize what needed to be done uh, in order to prepare Philips to tackle um, uh, an increased presence in the, in the 20th century itself, um, which involved um, hiring, um, choosing the right people to, um, to back the existing team so that we would feel confident that we could um, sell masterpieces or very good objects by 20th century artists um, at the same level and in some cases perhaps even better than our competitors. So um, the, the, once the team was um, assembled, um, and that included you know, a number of colleagues from Sotheby's, ex-Sotheby's, a number of, ex, of colleagues, uh, ex-Christie's, and a few uh, new colleagues who were not in the auction world, uh, who, or who had left the auction world a long time ago, once that was in place and we had a team that could both respond to uh, potential sellers and potential buyers or and have their trust, then it became relatively comfortable um, for us all to, um, to tell our long-term Term clients that we had cultivated for, you know, in my case, you know, 35 years, that yes, Philips could do a job um, that um, uh, the other auction houses, um, uh, that, that was not just the other auction houses that could do the job. And if they felt comfortable dealing with uh, the person that they had trusted for, you know, several decades, um, to handle their sales or to handle to help them purchase new works, then the the, the master plan sort of, you know, opened up quite easily, and then of course then you have luck, um, and 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 our luck started um, in that field started um, uh, showing in November last year uh, when I was able to um, get um, for auction those four master drawings. Um, by, two by Matisse and two by Picasso from the estate of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Aberbach. Um, that family uh, had trusted me over the years um, to advise them and to handle some of their sales. And um, there was our first opportunity with four absolute masterworks to demonstrate that we could um, do as well uh, if not better, one will never know, um, than the traditional auction houses. Um, the uh, end result was an extraordinary price 
uh, and a world record for a post-war to um, Picasso work on paper uh, that went something like eight or nine times, it's, it's estimate, um, and one of the strongest price ever for a Matisse drawing. Now, at the same time as we had those very special drawings, which had not been seen um, on the market for 30, 40 years, um, we also um, got lucky that the Scheinbaum family entrusted us with a selection of works, which, again, they had uh, acquired um, you know, 40 years uh, before, 50 years before, uh, ranging from um, Chagall, uh, Henry Moore, Marino Marini. And again, it was an estate. It was beautiful material. And we handled that very well. At the same time, another friend of mine um, consigned with us a beautiful clay. So we were basically able to demonstrate um, that beautiful objects could be um, safely and intelligently entrusted with Philips. That gave us a start. Then, of course, the big break was um, in March of this year in London, when at the same time we were able to confront, within the same cell, to confront two masterpieces, one by Picasso, one by Matisse. Um, again, um, one of them came from a friend of mine who had entrusted me with previous sales um, and whom I'd known for you know uh, several decades. Um, that was the Picasso. And then luck struck again when we got a phone call um, uh, about a Matisse bronze. Um, both these works, um, in the case of Matisse bronze, had not been seen in public for 100 years. Um, and the Picasso had been in the same um, family for um, uh, 35 years. Both of them were of extreme quality, um, freshness, um, and the um, owners agreed to entrust us with um, our best advice, which was to give reasonable estimates, which were easily um, passed. Um, because, as you know, with a five to seven million pound um, estimate, the Matisse realized 13 million pounds hammer, um, and the Picasso with a 12 to 18 million pound um, estimate um, made 37 million pounds. So that was the second and probably, obviously, the most important break. And not only did we suddenly appear on the radar of um, very serious buyers because the objects were so important that it didn't matter where they were. Um, and they were pure stars um, shining within the um, Philips context. You know, they were by far the best slots that we had. So we were able to really um, give those our utmost attention. Um, uh, you know, it was the focus of every single senior member of the team to um, Make sure that these objects would sell incredibly well. Now, is is that the huh? is that is that the selling point? Is that the thing that you can use to differentiate Phillips uh, from the other auction houses in the sense that you have obviously a great deal of experience, but you are also so 
much smaller and therefore can be focused on uh, works and not distracted by the sheer volume it now takes to run a marquee auction? Absolutely. You're completely right. Um, you know, we'd love to have more, but at the moment, when we get one, two, three, four, five of these really beautiful 20th century works, they shine um, and and they become the focus of of the entire team. Um, and when you think about you know the the colleagues um, I have around me on my team, uh, on my sorry, on my team, on our team, Philips's team, you know, each of them has 15 to in my case 35 years of experience um, running departments, entire divisions at Sotheby's and Christie's. So the 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 trust that um, our buyers have in every single individual um, is is an amazing amount of capital to have when you have extraordinary objects uh, that you can discuss with them. Um, it, you know you can't go wrong telling the interested parties that these objects are triple A. Um, so. Little by little, um, and hopefully uh, a little faster than little by little, we probably will start making uh, a, um, a serious mark um, in that field. Uh, the further proof this season is is the mirror now, um, which uh, again comes from a very good friends of mine, whom I've known again for several decades, who on the back of the sale of the Matisse and the Picasso decided that, of course, um, let's give it to Philips. Um, they can do it. And um, the other auction houses were not even consulted. So it was it, it, to see the trust building, both in sellers of important works of art, as well as buyers of important works of art of the 20th century, is a, is a very rewarding experience. Um, 2018 is going to be a banner year um, for us in that field. Um, uh, it, it, I mean, I don't know if you'd love, if you like, if you're interested in in, in statistics, but um, the modern portion um, of uh, our department, 20th century and contemporary art, this year um, to date represents 25% of our global sales in that field and over 15%, 16% to date of Philips's global sales. So it's becoming a very important part and for the moment with a very small number of lots, hopefully on the back of our successes. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to ask, you were saying uh, earlier that there has been this change in the way we view categories, and I wanted to expand on that a little bit because it, it seems to me that uh, you have benefited from the broader shift in uh, categories uh, so that the evening sales have become uh, – you know, a, a sales of, you know, very good works across many different 
uh, styles and time periods. You know, we've seen what used to be two weeks of sales be compressed into one. We've seen the curated sales that have layered in modern and contemporary with post-war and even impressionist works. We, we've sort of lived through a masterpiece market in the, you know, sort of, uh, uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, and seen it almost return re uh, recently uh, to the point where a an eclectic sale is no longer eclectic. It's just uh, an evening sale focusing on, you know, the works that you think can... Uh, are the best, or are the best, right. or are the best. And that and that your yeah, clients, the clients will believe is the best. I mean, it's one thing to tell people something's fantastic. It's another thing for the the audience to really to, to buy it. To, yeah, to get involved with. No, I understand. Well, the, the, one of the things that we uh, discuss straight out um, uh, with Ed and then with the, the, the subsequent colleagues that joined us were, was, do we want to go the traditional route of what I call geographic sales, uh, modern British, Latin American, Italian, um, that the auction, the other auction houses, and and obviously us in the past had approved and developed, um, and we decided that probably that was not the right way, and that you know why marginalise an artist by calling him a modern British artist or calling him a Latin American artist? If he's a contemporary artist or a modern master, he is part of the modern movement or part of the post-war movement or part of the Latin American of the. Um, of the contemporary movement. He's not a local provincial artist that is only of interest uh, to his compatriots. So we took that decision and that enabled us in the um, modern and contemporary world to establish you know, very strong prices um, and in some case um, uh, for Latin American artists, for example, bought by people who were not following the Latin American sales. Um, which was a, a further reward of, uh, you know, of uh, and and um, sort of um, and blessing of our decision. Um, so we are now able to to mount relatively small evening sales, um, you know, forty lots, forty five lots, with the best of what we can get from the old categories of modern British, Latin American, post-war, modern, etc. So it it also allows us to um, to interest uh, somebody who was a purely a modern collector and did not follow the contemporary contemporary sales to also discover other things um, and we, we we hopefully will will bear the the fruits of of this decision um, and and make collecting more enjoyable for our clients and friends how much so yes that's a very important part. How, how much do you think the Chinese have played a role in that, where we now have Chinese buyers? I mean, they're they're not an enormous part of the market, but they are not inconsequential, who are very comfortable collecting across all categories, uh, very much in the vein that you just described. They're looking for what they think are very good works from, you know, they can buy Botero as easily as they can Picasso. Um, uh, so it suggests that that the market itself is less interested in the, in the categories than being presented with a selection of, you know, 
for lack of a better, A-plus works. Well, you know, I always used to say I'm French, um, and I usually describe some collectors of 30 years ago, 40 years ago, as having inherited the Rothschild taste. Um, and what I meant by that is that you collect the best of the best from Renaissance, from the Renaissance to antiquities through to modern art. Um, if you are open-minded, this is what um, the Rothschild did. And in a very similar fashion, um, in the 60s and 70s, when uh, the, the very rich and cultured uh, Greek sheep owners, um, you know, uh, were very important participants in the market, they were collecting all the way from Rembrandt Prince to um, uh, their contemporaries, um, large outdoor, more sculptures, but through um, uh, old master paintings, through the best of 18th century furniture, through, in some cases, oriental art. Um, and that, for some reason, started to disappear in the 80s uh, and 90s, where, uh, funnily enough, um, the, um, the American paintings uh, that had been bought by uh, European collectors, you know, the post-war, a lot of the pop art, uh, a lot of the abstract expressionists, etc., started being shipped back to New York for sale, um, and bought mainly by Americans. And at the same time, the artists that the American collectors of the post-war period uh, um, uh, that were Europeans were shipped back uh, to be sold in, in Europe um, to European collectors. So at that moment, you started seeing two um, very different, uh, a, a very different shift. American collectors were buying American art, and European collectors were buying European art. It started changing um, little by little um, when, um, and I think it's possibly due to extreme prices of American post-war art, um, when some American collectors started to realize that European art, which they had neglected and not really seen in America, uh, because they were of a younger generation. Um, artists like Yves Klein, artists like Lucio Fontana, artists like, um, you know, uh, were at incredibly good value for quality. And American collectors started um, uh, buying um, those artists who were painted at the same time as, you know, uh, their... Um, own artists were working, and it was very, very valid. Now, perhaps you're right, and now we're starting to see a further, uh, a further shift um, with the Chinese, who basically um, the very best Chinese collectors are buying the best of 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 many categories. Um, and I think that if the uh, the, the the way we present and assemble our sales corresponds more and more to the taste of a younger generation of, of collectors who buy very contemporary, but who also fall in love with Picasso and perhaps other things. 
and then we're going in the right direction. So speaking of direction, where do you think the market is going? Well, <coughs> excuse me. That's a that's a that's a difficult question. But the and um, if you the way I analyze it is that um, enormous fortunes are being uh, earned and made, and comes a point for the uh, for this tranche of ultra 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 wealthy. Um, um, families who, if they are interested in art, um, will want to um, collect the best of the best, either because they want to be generous at the end of their lives um, with endowing a museum or with a gift or building their own museums, um, or want to differentiate themselves from other very wealthy people, then the the ditch between what is triple A and what is you know single A or triple B will grow larger and larger and larger. So I see the um, high end of nearly all categories of the art market, and I'm not limiting uh, my comment to what Philips does, but in every category, um, you know, concentrating uh, more and more at the very top. In parallel, um, the uh, more, uh, I wouldn't say normal, but the, the wealthy people who used, who used to be 30 years ago um, very active and a very good a tranche of the collecting community are not feeling um, uh, so um, empowered with the amounts of money that they have at their disposal, um, and whole tranches of of art that used to be collected by the wealthy doctors, the successful um, uh, the successful lawyers, etc. Um, that tranche is of art which is either um, lesser important artists or lesser important works by the top artists is more difficult today to uh, um, to assess how this will perform um, in, in years to come. I have absolutely no doubt that in the masterpiece market we are uh, we have a, a long and happy um, uh, ride. Um, ahead of us. Now, of course, there will be change of tastes, um, but overall, those um, uh, after the, the, the highs and, and lows, it, the average, um, the average, um, I mean, the future is looking good when the object, be it an absolutely extraordinary print at, you know, $200,000 or an extraordinary modern painting at $100 million, um, if it's the best of the best, then I see it, uh, I see, uh, I see uh, a good future for those works. Um, even if the artist is not as important as some of the others, if it's the best, it'll stay. 
So, so that applies to, you know, outside of your um, headquarters right now is a 20-odd-foot um, uh, cause uh, statue, which I think for many people is, is uh, um, uh, jarring to see uh, and something that they wouldn't necessarily describe, uh, you know, because he's not been a recognized artist for very long as, uh, you know, e even art, let alone, you know, uh, uh, sort of high quality uh, art. So I, I, I guess what, what I'm leading up to asking is about selling in that kind of environment where you have to have the kind of wingspan that you do. I mean, in, in other houses, you can split it between different departments, a contemporary and a modern department and all. But in, in your sales, you have to go from cause on one end to, uh, you know, uh, uh, a bronze uh, uh, by Matisse uh, on the other. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, how do you mm -hmm. how, how do you work with that, uh, both with your colleagues and with the collectors and the marketing of the, the works? Well, what's very exciting in having sales where you have both the established and the lesser established um, is that you still have room for eyes. Um, you know, a, a great Picasso is a great Picasso. There's, you know, it's done, it's finished. Um, Picasso, is, 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 as an artist, is, is, you know, has entered the history books. Um, after that, you use your eyes and you, you select what you think is better than another piece by the artist. But by and large, decisions have been made for you um, and either you agree with those decisions in inverse comma that, that Picasso is one of is possibly the greatest artist, um, uh, and definitely of the 20th century, but perhaps even of a longer period. Uh, that's been done for you. So either you would like to live with a Picasso or you would not. But the decision has been made for you. What's exciting for us here, who are slightly more traditional in our uh, specialty or expertise such as me is that in the same cell um, you can still discuss with a client um, an artist whose work has not entered the history books yet um, and for them to actually take you know use their guts use their eyes um, to actually make the decision do I believe in this artist or not and if so as it, as in some cases for the cause, represents a fraction of what you know they're able to um, to uh, acquire in you know in the more modern or post-war post-war world. That's very exciting because they have a chance of 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 I wouldn't call it making a bet, but of use of of really thinking about it because none of our clients like to burn money, uh, none of them. Uh, sometimes uh, they like to be a little in inverted commas, scandalous, putting something a little, you know, odd in their homes or in their gardens. Um, sometimes they want to feel a bit younger. Um, um, sometimes they just want to have uh, fun and an object just catches their eye. And, you know, as it doesn't represent such a large amount of money for them, well, you know, let's have fun and do it. But, but none of them, I assure you, um, enjoy the concept of buying something that will not be worth what they paid for, um, uh, or considerably less. Um, but they're prepared to take that risk. I mean, a Picasso over time, um, 
is not going to really lose in you know in monetary value it might be worth a little bit less a little bit more or a lot more but it will not be worth a lot less whereas with um, some of the younger artists wait you know you've seen what happened in the last four or five years some artists have come and disappeared um and and when uh, collectors of more traditional works uh, start looking at at the very contemporary they are aware of it um and and i i feel you know i feel good that they are also um you know uh trying to um uh participate in um in something that is happening today by supporting um the market of these artists uh, supporting i don't mean supporting in a fake way but by by buying those works so um, because they want to enjoy them are you seeing the the um process in the other direction you talked about um buyers of a uh, established modern art you know looking for and uh, considering contemporary or even cutting-edge uh, unestablished artists or artists who are just getting their markets mm-hmm. established. Do you, you are in a, I wouldn't say a unique position, but because of uh, Phillips's both historic uh, reputation and client base, are you seeing the opposite happening? Uh, buyers more in, originally who were interested in uh, very young and current artists migrating back as you bring into the sales these uh, modern works and having interest for it, even bidding on uh, some of the the modern work that you've been uh, offering. No, no, absolutely, um, but that's for a different uh, reason. I think, in my mind, um, the it's more the profile of the new. Uh, of the of the newer collectors, they come in um, having made um, fortune usually quite young, um, and they immediately um, interact and react positively to the art of their generation. Um, so a thirty-year-old, uh, you know, millionaire or billionaire will come in and you know. Uh, um, What's it called uh, when you recognise yourself in in a in, in a course, for example, um, because you're of that generation, um, and as they um, participate um, in the collecting um, uh, process, after a few years, they start discovering that there are other things, and that what is being created today. Comes, doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from, you know, generations and centuries of uh, amazing artistic creation. And as they discover this for themselves, they will very often go back in time because they suddenly see that such and such artist actually comes out of that other artist who you know, worked 50 years before and how interesting and why don't I explore this angle as well as, you know, continue to indulge in my discovering process of the world around me today. Um, and, and I've seen an, a good number of uh, serious collectors who, having started young um, and been initially interested and 
also don't forget, able to afford at that particular moment younger art as time as time passed, their fortune may have increased, their wealth, their disposal, uh, their wealth at their disposal having increased, as well as their experience of the art of the, the, the art world and art history increases, move backwards, um, providing it's not too far away. I haven't really seen anybody who started, uh, you know, buying extremely contemporary, moving into Renaissance paintings. No, that has, no, that is, that is, uh, I'm not meaning that, but certainly to the beginning of the 20th century, because I think the biggest shift um, in art history, uh, you know, over the years, uh, over the, the centuries that happened in more recent time, the biggest shift uh, was definitely uh, the early 20th century. Uh, so I, yes, it it works both ways. It works both ways. I, I don't I don't want to keep you too long, uh, but I did want to make sure that I asked about uh, your relationship with Ed. You mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's sort of why yeah. you're you're there, and you've obviously worked together for uh, a number uh, of years. Uh, I just uh, was curious, uh, you know, what what was it about Ed that made you want to take this kind of chance? I mean, Phillips is is a project. You guys have done very well with it these last three years, but you know, three years ago, it wasn't at all foreseen that you'd be able to pull this off. What what made you take the risk? Well, I tell you, um, the um, yeah. Phillips had never been really on my radar. Um, for you know for years um the um the reason i um decided to um join um ed and phillips is that ed made me realize that i had completed in the auction world two important pro- um, projects and that I was ready for a third challenge. Um, the first one um, was in the you know, 80s um, when I established um, the importance of the contemporary art, uh, the uh, European contemporary art um, market at auction. Um, and I was at the time at Sotheby's and we were the leaders. Um, but you know, this was like a, a mega step forward. Um, in that field. And um, the second challenge was um, building a team uh, in France for Christie's. Um, and I'm now looking at the successes of the, of the, of the Christie's team in France. They're good. And um, the team is, is, a, is a strong team. And so that was my second challenge. Um, and then he said to me, well, how about a third challenge um, for, you know, for, for now, which would be um, to try and make Philips as reputable and as able to, uh, than, than the other auction houses, in, but with a different concept, a different focus, um, concentrating on just two centuries. Uh, without having the heavy machinery of, you know, a musical instrument department, an old master drawing department, uh, you know, and he sold me on that concept. And uh, you know, I'm I'm over sixty now. Um, well, I'm sixty. Um, and what do I have to lose? 
I might as well try and do something. And, and, and I told myself, well, um, would it be great if 20 years from now, when I will definitely be retired, I can tell my grandchildren, if I have any at that time, um, look, I participated in, in truly making this company what it is now. Whereas Sotheby's and Christie's, well, you know, they were built by generations of generations, you know, spanning two or three centuries that have slowly um, built um, the brands of these two companies. Whereas Philips, although, yes, we exist, we have existed for also two or three centuries, only the last, you know, uh, few years that uh, we've gotten to, um, to where we are now and, and hopefully... It's only the beginning. Um, the the relationship that you know I've developed with Ed um, goes back something like approximately twenty years, or maybe a bit more. Um, we're both colleagues at at um, Christie's um, uh, in the early nineties, and um, he um, he went on to become, you know, the chief executive, as you know. Um, and I left Christie's in, um, in the very early part of the 21st century. Um, and that was a, a strange moment because uh, I had just established Christie's in France and suddenly um, he was asking me to leave, <laughs> which was a, a little extraordinary considering that I was possibly one of the most loyal person uh, in the company. And I had, you know, delivered uh, my share of um, of the successes. Um, but I was asked by Christie's to leave, which I did, became an advisor, did, you know, wonderfully out of it, um, until I got to the stage where I thought of uh, resigning. Uh, I'm not resigning, retiring, sorry. I got to the stage where I sort of retiring. And, and then that I had enjoyed, uh, although he basically asked me to leave um, Christie's, and then I had sort of developed a, a good relationship um, and with regular, you know, meals and, you know, chit-chat. And when I said that, you know, I thought that, you know, would better use my my time working at, at an ONG, uh, NGO or, you know, and do the few deals that, you know, um, are enough for me to live a good life. He said, well, come on, you, you're, you're way too young. Um, so he made me first come back to Christie's, convinced me that I could do exactly as much work as I wanted to, have absolutely no responsibility, um, you know, bureaucratic responsibility, you know, um, no budgets, no meetings, no whatever, and could purely enjoy, you know, my relationship with, with clients um, and pictures. And that's, he had managed to convince me to um, to come back to Christie's with very special terms where I could, you know, travel and enjoy my life as well as work hard for, for Christie's. Um, so when he approached me for Philips um, and said to me, well, in this particular case, for the first few years, you're going to have um, to be a little bit of an executive because we need to build a team. We need to, you know, fashion the business. Um, uh, but I promise you that as soon as we've hired the, the competent people who want to take those executive responsibilities, you'll be free again. And um, that's where we are now. 
um, we've hired enough senior colleagues so who can run departments, who can, you know, prepare budgets, who can handle personnel issues, etc. And I'm back to just handling um, what I originally joined uh, this uh, this job. Uh, well, originally, uh, you know. What I wanted to do when I entered the art world and the art market, which is to, you know, handle uh, objects that I love um, and develop relationship with collectors who become friends, and because they're so interested in art, usually are incredibly interesting people. So we're back to full circle. I'm handling um, objects and. Um, and you know, developing relationship or pursuing relation, existing relationship um, with very interesting people, um, and this is what I love to do, and and this is you know why I'm not why I'm delighted. Um, I I joined Philips uh, as I see also that some of the challenges that we set out for ourselves um, we are actually handling well. That sounds like the perfect place to end. Thank you. No, thank you for thank taking you. the time. I, re I really uh, appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 